Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 27, verses 45 to 56, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 27, verses 45 to 56. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is the word of the Lord. In these verses, we read the conclusion of our Lord Jesus Christ's passion. After six hours of agonizing suffering, he became obedient even unto death and yielded up his spirit. Three points in the narrative demand a special notice. To them, let us confine our attention. Let us observe in the first place the remarkable words which Jesus uttered shortly before his death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a deep mystery in these words, which no mortal man can fathom. No doubt they were not wrung from our Lord by mere bodily pain. Such an explanation is utterly unsatisfactory and dishonorable to our blessed Savior. They were meant to express the real pressure on his soul of the enormous burden of the world's sins. They were meant to show how truly and literally he was our substitute, was made a sin and a curse for us, and endured God's righteous anger towards a world's sin in his own person. At that dreadful moment, the iniquity of us all was laid upon him to the uttermost. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. Isaiah 53 verse 10. He bore our sins. He carried our transgressions. Heavy must have been that burden. Real and literal must have been our Lord's substitution for us. When he, the eternal Son of God, could speak of himself as for a time forsaken. Let the expression sink down into our hearts and not be forgotten. We can have no stronger proof of the sinfulness of sin 
or of the vicarious nature of Christ's suffering than his cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is a cry that should stir us up to hate sin and encourage us to trust in Christ. Let us observe in the second place how much is contained in the words which describe our Lord's end. We are simply told, He yielded up His Spirit. There never was a last breath drawn of such deep import as this. There never was an event on which so much depended. The Roman soldiers and the gaping crowd around the cross saw nothing remarkable. They only saw a person dying as others die, with all the usual agony and suffering which attend a crucifixion. But they knew nothing of the eternal interests which were involved in the whole transaction. That death discharged in full the mighty debt which sinners owe to God, and threw open the door of life to every believer. That death satisfied the righteous claims of God's holy law, and enabled God to be just, and yet the justifier of the ungodly. That death was no mere example of self-sacrifice, but a complete atonement and propitiation for man's sin, affecting the condition and prospects of all mankind. That death solved the hard problem, how God could be perfectly holy and yet perfectly merciful. It opened to the world a fountain for all sin and uncleanliness. It was a complete victory over Satan and spoiled him openly. It finished the transgression, made reconciliation for iniquity, and brought in everlasting righteousness. It proved the sinfulness of sin when he needed such a sacrifice to atone for it. It proved the love of God to sinners when he sent his own Son to make the atonement. Never, in fact, was there, or could there be again, such a death. No wonder that the earth quaked when Jesus died in our stead on the accursed tree. The solid frame of the world might well tremble and be amazed when the soul of Christ was made an offering for sin. Isaiah 53 verse 10. Let us observe in the last place what a remarkable miracle occurred at the hour of our Lord's death in the very midst of the Jewish temple. We are told that the veil of the temple was torn in two. The curtain which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple and through which the high priest alone might pass was split from top to bottom. Of all the wonderful signs which accompanied our Lord's death, none was more significant than this. The midday darkness for three hours must have been a startling event. The earthquake which rent the rocks must have been a tremendous shock. But there was a meaning in the sudden rending of the veil from top to bottom, which must have pierced the heart of any intelligent Jew. The conscience of Caiaphas, the high priest, must have been hard indeed if the tidings of that torn veil did not fill him with dismay. The rending of the veil proclaimed the termination and passing away of the ceremonial law. It was a sign that the old dispensation of sacrifices and ordinances was no longer needed. Its work was done. Its occupation was gone from the moment that Christ died. There was no more need of the earthly high priest and a mercy seat and a sprinkling of blood and the offering up of incense and a day of atonement. The true high priest 
at length appeared. The true Lamb of God had been slain. The true mercy seat was at length revealed. The figures and shadows were no longer needed. May we all remember this. To set up an altar and a sacrifice in a priesthood now is to light a candle at noonday. That rending of the bale proclaimed the opening of the way of salvation to all mankind. The way into the presence of God was unknown to the Gentile and only seen dimly by the Jew until Christ died. But Christ, having now offered up a perfect sacrifice and obtained eternal redemption, the darkness and mystery were to pass away. All were to be invited now to draw near to God with boldness and approach Him with confidence by faith in Jesus. A door was thrown open and a way of life set before the whole world. May we all remember this. From the time that Jesus died, the way of peace was never meant to be shrouded in mystery. There was to be no reserve. The gospel was the revelation of a mystery which had been hidden from ages and generations. To clothe religion now with mystery is to mistake the grand characteristic of Christianity. Let us turn from the story of the crucifixion every time we read it with hearts full of praise. Let us praise God for the confidence it gives us as to the ground of our hope of pardon. Our sins may be many and great, but the payment made by our great substitute far outweighs them all. Let us praise God for the view it gives us of the love of our Father in heaven. He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, will surely with him give us all things. Not least, let us praise God for the view it gives us of the sympathy of Jesus with all his believing people. He can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what suffering is. Jesus is just the Savior that an infirm body with a weak heart in an evil world requires. That is the end of Rao's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory.